You'd better get bright, pal. We got a show to do. Then we got to figure out some way to collect that gate money. Get it to the Cook County Assessor's office as soon as they open in the morning. Joliet, Jake, and Elwood Blues. Two men with a mission. And only 11 days. Until you've redeemed yourselves. So it is like a little disappointing, but my favorite thing is that someone's review of the movie is I gave it, I, I took off half a star for the Lin Manuel Miranda jump scares. He keeps coming back in. <laughs> That poor he, guy. You know, he, it, like, he damned himself with those selfies biting his lip. That was his bad. He did. That was that was the jump the shark moment. But like when he like when he shows up in the very first number as the Viragua um guy, I'm like, yeah. oh, that's a that's a nice little cameo for him. Yeah, that's great. No, he's, and then he no, gets the, his own song. The Viragua guy is usually like one of the best singers in the whole show, and they gave it to him. That he gets a whole song, and then I'm like, wow, okay, well, I guess, I guess if that's in the musical, I guess that's something. It's nice he got a song, and then in the um, what the fuck's it called? Carnival in in the barrio, mm-hmm. right? Carnival um, del barrio. Del barrio, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, he's in that one. He's got like a prominent singing role in that. I know. <laughs> oh my god. They're... And then, and then, <laughs> and then you get a fucking Marvel fucking movie. Marvel ass scene. <laughs> A Marvel post-credit scene that like nobody wanted. <laughs> it's cool to see Chris like, Jackson though. He's awesome. Yeah, but it's like, yeah, we really need to see the Piragua guy <laughs> finally <laughs> fuck over Mr. Softy. When I caught a reflection of you and me Staring back at us while frozen on the screen Crack the white noise and pretend that we're asleep We're asleep, dream, 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 dream What's up everybody, welcome back to Probably Should Have Known Better Because I know that you've listened before My name is Nadia and I am on a mission from Gad with my co-host Tony yes. to celebrate comedy that has aged very poorly. Thank you, Nadia. Welcome. Thank you. And we would especially like to welcome all the representatives of Illinois' law enforcement community uh, who we know are listening uh, to this podcast. I am so excited for this one, Nadia. Um, this is this is a movie we're doing that is that is a huge sentimental favorite of mine oh. that I saw for the first time when I was thirteen. That now I listen to the soundtrack with my two year old and we dance around to it. Oh my um, god! Uh, but it is also the first ever SNL movie, and it is a movie first and foremost about why you shouldn't do cocaine. <laughs> 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 What the fuck? <laughs> and it's, well, because every piece, and, and we'll talk about this, every piece of the development of this movie from the concept to the screenwriting process to the uh, actual production and shooting of the film, uh, there was a lot of cocaine being snorted. 
You know, uh, that makes by, a lot of sense. By multiple people. And folks, today's film is Blues Brothers from 1980, directed by John Landis, based on characters created by Dan Aykroyd and John Belushi for Saturday Night Live. We've been doing every SNL film this season. Uh, we figured it was time to go to the very first one, uh, yeah. starring John Belushi, rest in peace, Carrie Fisher, rest in peace, John Candy, rest in peace, and Dan Aykroyd, still around. <laughs> uh. Yes, and he's so great. I love Danny Aykroyd. <laughs> no, he's great. He's he's great in this. He's great in a lot of things. He is an exceptionally weird man. As, yeah, he is. <laughs> as, uh, as we'll learn. Um, but, you know... Like I said, Nadia, this is a sentimental favorite for me. I'm really eager to hear your thoughts and and just kind of how you felt watching this extremely long movie. It's really long, dude. <laughs> it's long. It's long, but it's good. It's not a bad movie. I thought it would yeah. be way worse. It's um, The parts that are meant to be funny are hilarious. The parts where it's just like watching a very long music video with like scenes from Fast and the Furious in between. Like, I, I like it. I like the vibe. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Nadia, can you give us, like, a, a summary of the plot of the movie? To, you know, to the extent that we can say the film has a yeah, plot. Yeah, it's a super loose plot, but uh, Belushi is out of prison after spending three years in the clink, but uh, was let out on good behavior. And his brother played by Danny Aykroyd, uh, picks them up and they go on an adventure and they find out that it's the church that they grew up in. Is this correct? Yeah, yeah, an orphanage run by nuns, yeah. Right, so they are in major debt and they are on a mission from God to get money. But they do it through schemings and uh, cons <laughs> and it's great. But And there are just like so many musical numbers. It is really long, but it's really fun. And you could put it on in the background, and that's fine. <laughs> yeah, yes, I think I think that's very fair. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and so uh, as as the Blues Brothers, uh, Jake and Elwood uh, get their band back together to play one big gig to raise the rest of uh, of <laughs> right. the money that they need. Um, they basically make a lot of enemies on the way. Uh, the entire Chicago Police Department and Illinois State Police. Uh, the local chapter of the American Nazi Party in Illinois. That threw uh, me so much. And then I was like, wait a minute. Why are the police helping the Nazis? <laughs> the, but this is like, and that's the other thing I want to um, call out. A thing that I really love about SNL films is that there's cops are in a lot of them and they're almost always completely worthless and i think <laughs> i think that's a choice and i love that choice yes. the, when, when, in that moment where i was like the police are helping the nazis and then this other little voice in my head because there's a lot in there it goes isn't it the same thing yeah <laughs> so like, i was what like if, oh okay what if some of those who work forces are the ones who burn crosses um hmm, and so interesting uh, the most notable thing about this film, of course, is the music. Um, the Blues Brothers band was a real band that was basically made up of members of the SNL band and then uh, yes. members of Booker T and the MGs. The musical director was Paul Schaefer, although he's not in this movie. Um, and uh, so we see them play a lot of musical numbers uh, with vocals by Aykroyd and Belushi, but also we see all these amazing guest stars. Yeah. Um, 
James Brown, Chaka Khan, uh, Cab Calloway, Aretha Franklin, and Ray Charles being, you know, just all coming in and being like, well, I'm going to do my musical number now. And it, that, all <laughs> of that rules. It's awesome. It's so fucking fun. But the, yes. uh, Paul Schaefer was, let me go into my, like, yeah. sketch comedy histories. Paul Schaefer was the musical director for a lot of stuff in Canada. And a lot of people who ended up on CCTV, like Martin Short and Catherine O'Hara and Eugene Levy, they were all doing musicals with Paul Schaefer as the musical director. So I just think it's really interesting. I'm assuming, because Dan Aykroyd didn't hide his Canadian stories during this no, movie. No, he, he was a he, proud Canadian his Yeah, so career. I'm assuming he's like, hey, Paul, help us out, because he did a really great job. Yeah. Um, but that that was that was how Paul Schaefer started. He wasn't always, you know, just the David Letterman guy. Yeah, it, it is wild to think that this is a this is a pre Letterman, <laughs> um, pre Letterman Schaefer doing this, and it's the the concept of the Blues Brothers is so wacky. And, and again, it's difficult to conclude that the Blues Brothers exist for any reason other than people did a lot of cocaine Um, it it was just because this wasn't a sketch it's based on characters created for snl but not for a sketch it was just Aykroyd and belushi were the musical guests in character for characters they made up uh and just appeared on snl (laughs) to do the musical numbers that is so fucking brilliant it's like um (laughs) I would say, like, Incredibad and, like, The Lonely Island. It's all kind of that vibe of, like, yes. we're going to... We, we're really good at doing music, so well, yeah, let's that, just do it as characters. Right, and that's the thing, is, like, they would be the musical guests, and they weren't doing it comedically. They were just going up, and they're like, we just want to play with the band and do these songs we like. Yeah, that was um, the one thing that surprised me the most about it was the when they were doing their numbers, they were very earnest, and it was very good. yeah. The, yeah, the, didn't expect well, that. I thought it was going to be like a gag. No, the everybody needs somebody to love musical number like makes my heart grow three sizes every oh, time you're like I, a little I watch Grinch. it. My little Grinch heart. But I, I think the fact that like SNL was <laughs> was at a place where is <laughs> very very early in SNL's run. You could yeah. just. You could just tell Lauren, hi, Lauren, I want to be the musical guest this time, even though I'm in the cast. And then Lauren just looks up from, like, a line of coke on his desk. He's like, yeah. (laughs) It it speaks to a much weirder era of the show. So I'm eager to hear what SNL was like in 1980. I am shooketh. I have the (laughs) um, Live from New York book, and Mm -hmm. it's very tedious. But so somebody... So I was like, I could I could refer to this, or I could go on Wikipedia because somebody just made a synopsis of the book there, and that's what I did. So, um, oh man, SNL in nineteen. This movie dropped in probably the weirdest time for <laughs> SNL. This is um, nineteen eighty was season six. Mm-hmm. At this point, Lorne apparently was super burnt out. He didn't really want to continue on for another season, so he told NBC, "Hey, I want to take." A break for a year and I also want to have SNL take a break for a year and then we'll come back super strong after that don't understand the logic of that like <laughs> TV wise maybe that's what they did in Canada I don't know but the NBC was like yeah sure no problem 
but they lied to Lorne and <laughs> which like look at the track record for NBC like what they did to Conan and stuff like it started a long time ago well and so, also what they fucking did to Letterman before they, they did exactly the same thing before they did it to Conan I always forget about that <laughs> you're right yeah so NBC was like fuck you and so they gave SNL to the associate producer who was named uh, Gene Dumanian. I could yes. be I could be pronouncing that wrong, and I'm so sorry. Um, so she was like not put in a good position because when because Lorne was pissed, so a lot of the cast and crew left and, along with him. They're like, "Fuck NBC, we're not going to do this." And so Gene had to basically recast the entire show. And uh, if you, I'm going to read off the list of cast members. There aren't a lot of people on here that (laughs) I recognize. Um, They included Danny Dillon, Robin Duke, Gilbert Gottfried, who I know, uh, Tim Kazarinski, Gail Mathias, Eddie Murphy, he was 19, Joe Piscopo, Anne Risley, Charles Rocket, Tony Rosato, Rosato. Mm -hmm. Okay. The featured players were Yvonne Hudson, Matthew Lawrence, not the one you're thinking of, Lauren Metcalf, Laurie Metcalf, I'm sorry, Emily Prager, and Patrick Weathers. I don't know who a lot of these people are. I love that Charles Rocket would go on to play uh, the obsessed neighbor, and it's Pat. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, so, but the crazy part is that I learned is that at the time, Eddie Murphy was not cast at first. And he was, like, calling the casting agent or the casting director because you could do that back then. And he's like, I want to audition. I want to audition. I want to audition. And they're like, no, we already have our ethnic uh, cast member. (laughs) And he's like, no, 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 let me do it. And they finally let him do it. And that's how he made it. And he was 19. But, like, they had that thing of, like, we need just one ethnic person. And it still hasn't really changed. Which which I was about to say is also the current policy, I believe. But um, because the cast was so kind of all over the place and Dominion actually passed on Jim Carrey, John Goodman, and Paul Rubens that year. Holy shit. Which is, like, so, (laughs) so fucking stupid. Yeah, but we got Charles fucking Rocket. Right, that's true. Yeah, you know what? Credit where credit is due. But uh, the that nineteen eighty to eighty one season was like one of the worst seasons. Wow. The critics panned every every episode. Uh, the ratings were falling. They were going to cancel everything. Um, but and also they they cut the budget from a million dollars an episode to only three hundred fifty thousand dollars. So like that didn't help. And the weirdest part was Lauren actually wanted Al Franken to take over. He's like, if you're going to fucking keep going, put Al in charge. And just imagine how much the course of history could have changed. Yeah, but Al Franken insulted the president of NBC on Weekend Update live. Yes. So that didn't happen. Um, (laughs) I think he did that multiple times. Exactly. And so Dominion actually got uh, fired because Mm -hmm. every everyone was like snl is fucking drowning this is bad and Mm -hmm. the success of the blues brothers they were like snl is an institution like we have Mm -hmm. to fix it and so they fired dominion and they uh replaced her with dick herbisol Mm -hmm. um and he fired basically everybody um, mm-hmm. He tried to get John Candy and Catherine O'Hara to join from CCTV, but yeah. the original head writer, Michael o- Michael O'Donoghue, he, like, yelled at everybody during the first ever production meeting, and Catherine O'Hara was like, I gotta go. <laughs> she left. 
Yeah, she's like, too Canadian for that. Yeah, yeah. Like, obviously, they didn't make her sign any kind of contract or anything. They were just like, do you want to come, like, hang out for a little bit? She's like, sure. And then that guy fucking goes off. She leaves. It's really sad. But um, the writer strike, because there's always a writer strike, like, every few years, you know, mm-hmm. as we know. And that one happened to fall in 1980, which was actually a super blessing because they just cut the season short. And they were yeah. just like, no, let's not do this. Um, but the notable hosts of that year were super sad. Um, we have unproblematic <laughs> fave uh, Elliot Gould. He was the first one. Okay. Jim, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis, Debbie Harry, Bill Murray. And there was one episode where they didn't have a host at all. So Chevy Chase showed up. And, oh, he, and he did the cold open and angered weekend update. And like it kind of counted as a host. Um, wow. They also didn't have musical numbers for or musical guests for every episode that season either, which is really sad. But the mm. ones they did get were big gets. There were Aretha Franklin, James Brown, and Ellen Shipley. They were on the same episode. Uh, Holy cheap, shit! Cheap Trick, uh, Linda Ronstadt, and the cast of the Pirates of Penzance, <laughs> and uh, Todd Rundgren and Prince were on the same episode as well. So it, this, like, if you're talking, like, chaos, I, this what is a, a problem. What a weird fucking show. It was fucking weird. And I can't believe that it was, like, allowed to unfold the way it did. Just, like, live. Yes. Speaking of I can't believe it was allowed to unfold the way it did, um, the Blues Brothers. Uh, <laughs> you know, this is a movie based on a made-up musical guest, right, who... After being the made-up musical guest, Belushi, the, the Blues Brothers band then, like, opened for the Grateful Dead on their tour. Are you serious? Uh, yes. Then they recorded and released an album. This is before the movie. They recorded and released Briefcase wow. Full of Blues uh, in, I want to say, 78, 79. Um, and, and, like, an actual album with singles that, like, charted and stuff. Um, <laughs> And then they were in a movie, which was, you know, which you could easily cut 45 minutes from. But the, yeah. <laughs> the thing about, you know, Aykroyd grew up listening to blues artists. And actually, while he was on the cast of SNL, and he was a rel- he was relatively young compared to the other folks on the cast when he started. Mm-hmm. Um, but he had a he rented a blues bar out in New York that the cast would use for after parties. And... Um, that was how Aykroyd basically introduced Belushi to blues music. And Belushi oh. uh, used to be a drummer, like, before he was an actor. So he was a musician. Yeah. He he became obsessed with it, um, especially, like, and they talk about this a little bit in the movie, too, but coming out of a decade where, like, there's a lot of disco, there's a lot of electronic, Belushi wanted um, just a, a nice uh, big band sound, rhythm and blues band sound. Uh, so he became obsessed with it to the extent that he and Aykroyd created characters with fictional backstories and became the musical guest on their own TV show. Normal stuff. <laughs> nice. Uh, and uh, so a- after kind of their initial successes on the show, on the tour with the album, Aykroyd was like, we have backstories, let's turn it into a movie. And he wrote a screenplay that was 324 pages. Oh, so this uh, is the short version. Cool. Right. So for those of you who have never written a screenplay before, you probably want to come in around, like, what would you say, Nadia? A hundred and change? Yeah. The, uh, first of all, I watched it on Peacock, and that shit has ads. So it took oh. me a lot longer. <laughs> it was like a three-hour ordeal. 
Um, so, uh, it, you know, it, he, he wrote this absurdly long script, and they were like, okay, we need to bring in somebody to cut this down. And so they brought in John Landis. Oh, um, that's who directed cool. the movie. Now, John Landis had just directed Belushi in Animal House, um, which was a huge hit. Um, same star, same director. Everybody's like, okay, this movie's also guaranteed to be a huge hit. And it basically was. Mm-hmm, yeah. um, but between the musical numbers, a, a climactic car chase, which destroyed 103 cars, which was a record at the time, um, and all of the partying on set uh, causing delays, it, it ended up being one of the most expensive comedy films ever made at the time. Uh, Dan Aykroyd half joked that part of the film's budget was specifically set aside for buying cocaine. Oh my god! Um, he and Carrie Fisher, and uh, of course, especially John Belushi, were all uh, frequent users. At one point, Belushi broke down in his trailer, and he publicly worried that his addiction would kill him. Tragically, it would. Two years after this movie came out. Um, but on a lighter note, uh, this was one of the first movies of the modern era shot mainly on location in. Chicago, the greatest city in the world. The after, greatest city in the world. <laughs> after um, the mayor at the time, Jane Byrne, who sucks and is racist like most <laughs> mayors of Chicago, after she opened up uh, tax credits for studios to shoot in the city. So, uh, you know, I said I watched this for the first time when I was 13, and, and part of the reason I love it so much is because it is such a great... Um, uh, depiction of Chicago and all of the the wonderful music there and all of the weird quirkiness of the city uh, and uh, and just you know seeing the bridges go up and seeing the Blues Brothers drive around with the big loudspeaker on their car and, uh, and driving on the beach at Lake Michigan and like it's just I don't know it just really it really is very moving to me and I had a big grin on my face. Uh, watching this. That said, you could cut the last 45 minutes. You wouldn't miss Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, I was thinking about you the entire time we were watching, I was watching this movie, and I was alone. I don't know why I said that. <laughs> <laughs> but when I was like, oh, Tony, he must be so happy watching this. So thank you for validating that thought for me. Um, the, the thing that I found most interesting just looking back on just the history of this movie, I learned quite a bit about... Jim Belushi, John Belushi's brother, ah. and who, you know, him from, according to Jim. I actually watched that. It wasn't bad. But um, he was super affected, obviously, by the death of his brother and just being around the partying of that time. Um, and he has started a weed farm. And he he has publicly said, I truly believe that if my brother had just been smoking weed, he'd still be alive. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm thinking weed is like a really good um medicinal alternative and would help people with addiction and stuff and just in general he shares a lot of really good information about just like in the same vein as like seth rogan i think it's like the Mm -hmm. white guy coming in to this like obviously hyper criminalized industry Mm -hmm. and like making a lot of money from it and they're doing actual good with it by you know spreading education and awareness and like helping people get out of jail and things like that so look up john belushi and his really cool weed farm jim belushi Um, fuck john (laughs) jim belushi i mixed them up because you know why would you name your kids something so similar that's why it's mary kate and ashley it's different (laughs) 
I do like that. That I mean, I didn't know that. That's really cool, and I'm glad Jim Belushi's doing that, but I have not forgiven him for being in Return to Me with uh, Mini Driver. <laughs> is, is that the one with... No, that's Curly Sue. Do you remember that one? where he? No, like... I don't know that. Return to Me is the one with the heart transplant. <laughs> oh, <my God. laughs> That's different from Curly Sue. Curly Sue is the one where he, like takes in this orphan girl with big curly hair and uh like they like she wants him to be her dad and it's like very emotional it's kind of like it's a snuff film in the same way the other sister was that nobody really dies but like emotional snuff (laughs) but um back to this movie um yeah i was gonna i was gonna ask you how are we gonna go through the whole movie when first of all it's very long and also it's basically a music video it is like well here i i got my overall question, I think you've already answered it, was, did you like it, and do you think it works as a comedy? I liked it. Um, I liked it better than a lot of other movie musicals I've seen. I'm, I'm not a, I'm a musical person. Like, when you fucking go see theater, it, the energy is its own thing. Yeah. But when it translates to a movie, that's harder. Um, but I think this translates really well. Yeah. I think it's really fun, and seeing the big, like, seeing Ray Charles, like, made me cry. Hell yeah, man. Like, and that's a, that's an best. awesome number, too. Um, yes. But just, like, I mean, all of the, just, like, the scene in Ray Charles' store, and, you know, Ray Charles essentially is playing himself, but he owns a music store called Ray's Music Exchange, and there's a scene where he's trying to sell him a keyboard, and um, Murph, the keyboard player, is like, but Ray, come on, this keyboard's not good. There's no life left in these keys. And Ray's like, oh, there's some life left in these keys. And you're like, I'm going to see Ray Charles play a fucking song right now. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's cool also because he gets, like, to do a comedy gag, too. Because, you know, you can't forget you're watching a comedy movie. So there's this, during yeah, so this shoots, whole conversation, shoots this yeah. little kid is trying, because he's blind. So this little kid is trying to steal a guitar and, like, is assuming Ray can't see his ass. And he can. And he just takes out a gun and shoots at this child. And I'm just like, this is perfect. This is so good. Yeah. Um, but But most of the big name people have some sort of some reason to be in a part of the plot some, but then some they get extremely do... loose reason yeah and then they just like fucking go and it's so fun that's the part yeah. I, I didn't really need the the whole plot of the movie or like any of the and dialogue I, scenes i think that's i think that's the right take is it's like if you took out the story and uh dialogue and really most of the characters um this would be a really this would still be a really fun movie to watch (laughs) Um, (laughs) because like you know and and again it's like a character like we said it has a loose connection to the plot like james brown technically plays a reverend right but he just stands up and just does a james brown too (laughs) Yeah. Um, and then there's like trampolines you can't see yeah like people every... are flipping doing it's, flips in the it's church so good. it's so all fun. of the, the dancing throughout is great i mean and, and again it's like there's this kind of note of tragedy behind it because you see belushi dancing his ass off right um yeah. and he's incredible but you're like well he's obviously coked up right. um but it's also incredible to watch and like he's doing cartwheels uh and doing backflips down the aisle of the church um so we're like we're just jumping all over the place here so here's okay here here's here's where i want to start like entire opening i don't know 15 minutes i feel like we can basically skip 
Because <laughs> right. <laughs> everything takes so fucking long to do in this Dude, movie. Dude, that first scene of We're, him just walking through the prison. First of all, the prison, I was like, is that where they shot Telephone with Lady Gaga? And I'm like, wait, no, probably not. But uh, that, yeah, It's uh, Joliet, which is where the state prison is in Illinois. Ah, uh, that, that whole scene was like 10 minutes long. Too long. Too long. But did you see who the, the um, warden was that was giving him his stuff back? Frank Oz? It was Frank Oz, yeah. yeah. Which is, uh, and he sounds like Fozzie Bear. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So there, there, there are like some bits that I thought, yeah. oh, okay, like I see what they're doing. They establish some silliness, but it's a pretty serious movie. It's still fun. Yeah. It's pretty serious. Yeah. But anyways, his brother Elwood picks him up. Um, they drive back to Chicago, the greatest city in the world. Uh, <laughs> Elwood's got a new uh, car that he, it's an old Mount Prospect police car he bought at a police auction. Mm-hmm. Um, and they visit the penguin. Yes. The penguin this, nun woman. <laughs> yes. The, the nun who raised them. And this is like the first, like, I would say scene of straight comedy in the movie. Yeah. Um, one, there's very good physical comedy because when they go into the Penguin's office, she tells them to sit down, and the only thing they can sit in are, like, the little grade school desks. Yeah, uh, and she's like, no, 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 come closer so I can see your faces. And then they have to scoot the desks up. It's just so cute. They're, like, yeah. adults. It's very, very yeah. sweet. Um, and then the other thing is they keep swearing in front of the nun, and she keeps hitting them with a ruler. Yes, that uh, is cute. Um, but overall, very Catholic. Makes sense why you love it. Yeah, um, yeah. Also, that you're right. You're right. Very Catholic yeah, movie. Very Catholic movie. But the most important thing is that we finally get the the why. Yes. Like why why now they need to save the orphanage. Yeah, five thousand dollars needs to be on the desk of the Cook County Assessor in eleven days. Right. Uh, so. They have no idea what to do. Jake's like, we can just steal the money. The nun's not going to accept it. <laughs> um, they meet uh, They meet up with Curtis, who's the, you know, I feel bad saying magical Negro, but um, he literally is magical in this movie, so he is kind of playing into that trope. Right. Um, uh, but he's the guy who helped raise them in the orphanage. He works there. He taught them about the blues. He played his records for them. And he says, basically, uh, you get to church. Go go down to, to church, catch Reverend Cleophas. Uh, that'll be good for you. Yeah. And it was good for all of us. Yes. Because then we got be- to see James, James Brown do an incredible performance. Everybody's fucking tearing it up. Yeah. I wish, I wish church was like that. Yes, like, in, and so it's James Brown. He, like, starts to give the homily. It just turns into a performance of, of the old landmark and incredible dance number like the congregation's getting up and and the women are dancing with their their it's hot in church fans you know right. and uh and the soloist in the choir is uh shaka khan as well <laughs> uh, which i love because i used to live right at honorary shaka khan way no way Chicago. oh yeah. my god yeah she uh that's on 53rd street i don't live there anymore but um uh, so it was awesome seeing that, and and basically, during this musical number, God <laughs> speaks to Jake, speaks to John Belushi's character, uh, and tells him to get the band back together. That's right. He got his mis- his mission from Gad. His mission from Gad, 
so uh, he starts dancing. He has this vision. The subtitles at this point said in brackets, high-spirited gospel singing continues. Uh, <laughs> yes, it was very high-spirited. I was tired watching, and I was like, oh, there's like three hours left. <laughs> um, so basically, Jake and Elwood are like, fine, we're going to get Batten back together. Elwood's like, I haven't really been in touch with the band, so we got to hunt all these guys down. Uh, and then they blow a red light. Uh-oh. It's not good. <laughs> and I, I just want to call out where the red light was, just real quick. Uh, that is clearly Talcott and Cumberland uh, by the <laughs> Nelson Funeral Home in Park Ridge, Illinois, the town where I grew up. I went to school, I went to grade school at Mary Seat of Wisdom, which is like two fucking blocks from there. No way! This is yeah. so insane. Well, yes. right when this happens is when Kate McKinnon wants me to switch to my 5G phones. <laughs> <laughs> and I also got an ad for the Jeffrey Epstein documentary. So <laughs> I was following that energy back to the to what turned into a car chase. <laughs> yes. They pull Elwood over. They run his plates. He has 116 parking violations and 56 moving violations. Uh, and so they ask uh, Elwood to step out of the car, and instead he fucking floors it and drives away. <laughs> and this is when the, like, real adventure of the movie starts. Again, it turns into, like, a 1980s Fast and the Furious with white people. And yeah. <laughs> it's actually with, really With fun. white people in terrible shape, by the way. Just... <laughs> <laughs> it's really really fun to watch um hapless police and not root for them yeah because i feel i feel rules. like in in uh in hollywood a lot of the time the police are like funny like bill Hader and seth rogan in super bad it's like they're cops but they're funny and you like them but like i love to not like cops yes thank you yeah, for allowing me to hate them <laughs> to have the cops be the bad guys and, and again like the cop in wayne's world i feel also was incompetent and yes. his contribution to the plot is he shoves his hand up Rob Lowe's ass <laughs> to delay him. And, he, you know, but he actually, you know, he switched to the good guy team. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I feel like in, I feel very excited that people in Chicago all have the same vibe about cops. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, and that goes back to uh, just many wonderful points in our history. Anyways, the, <laughs> so basically they go on a car chase and uh, they get stuck in a mall, mall parking lot. And Jake says, you got to get us out of this parking lot. So Elwood's solution is we're going to drive through the mall. Oh, uh, yeah. What a fun scene. This is like a dream of mine to just absolutely destroy a mall. Uh, and this was this was a real mall. It had closed. And basically they had filled it with, you know, fake stores and just were like, yeah, just go nuts. <laughs> drive the car through it. Um, I do love them driving through and Elwood saying, there's lots of space in this mall. Uh, <laughs> and I, and of course the iconic line, they're not going to catch us. We're on a mission from Gad. We're on a mission from Gad. The best part, I don't know how they do, I don't know how to do like car stunts, but there are so many different varieties of car stunts that you get to see in this movie. It's like, you can't look away because you'll miss something. You'll, they'll flip one way. Sometimes they spin on the roof and the people like, are yes! still inside. Yes. It's, it's pretty fucking rad. Yeah. Um, rad scene. They end up getting away. Um, the cops end up stalled at the mall. Uh, and then we, we head to Elwood's home. 
which we get a very long parking scene for some reason. <laughs> I was like, uh, cut. But um, um, the we're, he stays in a hotel. Or like yeah, like a those, flop house. Yeah. Like a flop house. And uh, they they go to the front desk and the guy's like, this guy is looking for you. And it was a cop. Mm. And I thought, does is that the same cop? This is kind of where there was like a plot hole a little bit. Or like, what's happening? Yeah. When did the cops get there? I think it was his parole officer. Oh, I, I think see. it was John Candy's character. Um, but okay. we're also introduced to another character <laughs> in this scene, and that's uh, that's Carrie Fisher. And I was like the Tiffany Pollard meme, where it's yes. just like Beyonce. I was like Princess Leia. <laughs> uh, and I would say very memorable first scene for Carrie Fisher. No, she like blew it out of the water literally she blew up the building <laughs> she she fires as jake and elwood are going into the flop house she fires a bazooka at the entrance yeah and like the weird part is is that like nobody explains it no, no. you got like another two and a half hours until this, it's explained this will happen several more times until you get an explanation and honestly <laughs> i'm kind of into it yeah i love seeing an unhinged carrie fisher it's really and, fun. And this was uh, three years after the first Star Wars. So, and people didn't talk like this back then, but there were nerds going, Carrie Fisher, murder me with a bazooka. <laughs> Stomp on me with your boots. Uh, yeah, no, that, it was funny. The The whole like explosion thing, very funny because you got to see, I don't know if they were stunt people, but they, you got to see everybody that was supposed to be in that scene just fucking fall. And and then the foley sound on the bricks when they all kind of you know dig their way out of it very satisfying. It was like an ASMR video. This movie has everything. Really, it's it got really, it's got but, the blues. It's got Princess Leia. It's got good foley sound. I mean, it is like it is like a fucking Stefan bit though, right? Where yeah, it's yeah like, exactly. This movie has Princess Leia with a bazooka. This movie has John Candy helping the Nazis. This movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true it's really really funny but um they get away which is which is another thing that's so funny is everybody flips in a car they explode in an explosion nobody dies nobody dies in this movie i love it again uh, i feel like the stakes are low enough that this is fun yes because ultimately, like, what's the story? It's like, they just got to get the band back together. Like, yeah, we're just all having fun. Yeah, I feel like if this was a, like, a Netflix series, it'd be like a six episode or yes. like an eight episode thing. Yeah, but, and they would have to solve a child abduction. <laughs> but also do a musical number every episode. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Of course, of course, of course. No, but it, it is long enough where you could fucking do that, though. Because at this yes. point, we're not oh. even, like, a third of the way in. No. No, absolutely not. And I feel like, we like other than calling out the line, how often does the train go by, so often you don't even notice it, which is a thing my dad would say to me when the train Aww. would go by our house. <laughs> um, we, uh Other than that, I feel like we can skip a lot of the next couple scenes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It is... Um... It's just a lot of, like, looking for the band. Yes. Um, you know, Carrie Fisher does try to blow up their building one more time. Right. Um, and also a telephone booth. Yes. Uh, John Candy uh, does 
uh, he is uh, Jake's parole officer, and he's trying to find Jake. Um, and uh, Elwood basically is on the run from the cops now, but they can't find him because Elwood falsified his address on his driver's license. <laughs> Uh, to 1060 West Addison, which is, of course, Wrigley Field. Yeah, I've been there. It's so fun. <laughs> um, and so, uh, okay, so basically, like, they track down some of the musicians, right? They get most of the rhythm section. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically, uh, they're missing a few. And one of them they're missing is uh, the trumpet player, Alan Rubin, Mr. Fabulous. Fantastic. Uh, who, is, who is the Mater D at Shea Paul, a fancy restaurant in Chicago. Actually, the same restaurant from Ferris Bueller's Day Off where they do the Sausage King of Chicago bit. Oh, so <laughs> Mr. Fantastic works there, and they uh, won't take no for an answer, <laughs> and thus begins one of the weirdest bits of all time. <laughs> extremely weird bit. Funny, but Super funny, but really, Wait. really weird. I think, you know, if you're on cocaine, you have this idea. <laughs> yes. This very coked up scene where Jake and Elwood are like, we're going to go to the restaurant and we're going to just be the worst fucking possible guests at the restaurant <laughs> until the Mater D agrees to come back and be in our rhythm and blues band. Yeah. And so they, uh, they like do, what's that thing where you link arms and you drink champagne, but they do it with shrimp? Yes, they, they do, do that. They do they that. They throw shrimp into each other's mouth. <laughs> and then they try to buy a little girl at the restaurant, which I was like, come on, guys. So, and again. I was on mom, board until this point. My mom would say, uh, just like, I don't know in what context, but she would quote that line a lot. How much for the little girl? <laughs> um, oh, mom. The, I want to buy your women. How much for your women? Like, just. Also, Paul Just, Rubens was the server. Yes, he he was the he was the server. That's right. Which was really cool, and uh, you know people are are freaking out, and they yes. like they uh, try to get Mister Fantastic to Mister Fabulous. Not Is it fun. Fabulous? I thought it was Mister Fabulous. Mister Fabulous. Sorry, Mister Fabulous. So they try to actually get to move. They want to move tables, and he's like, "Why?" He's like, "Because they're very offensive smelling." <laughs> Which I loved the delivery of that. And I didn't, I, we don't see those fucking guys bathe once, except maybe in a sauna. You don't ever see them out of their hats and sunglasses, which is a very interesting, and again, cocaine-fueled choice. <laughs> but ultimately, they get their trumpet player, and yes. it's time to fucking get their shit in order, which includes getting some instruments. Yes. Well, they. I, I. I. Before we get to the the instruments, I want to do um, the Illinois Nazis real quick. Oh, I forgot um, about you know. I forget about the Nazis. So this is uh, this is at Jackson Park, uh, which is on the South Side, and it's uh, the Illinois Nazis um, who are real. Like we have. Na- I mean, like now we have Nazis fucking everywhere in this country because <laughs> uh, we're because we're fucked. Yeah. But. Um, but uh, when they ask, uh, they they get stuck in traffic because there's all these protesters outside of a Nazi rally, and they ask someone, hey, what's going on? Um, the guy on the street says, those bums won their court case, which I think is a reference to when the Nazis uh, wanted to march in Skokie, Illinois, which mm. is where uh, there's a large uh, uh, Jewish enclave. Um, and the ACLU defended them, right? It was like, right. oh, these Nazis have a right to march. So I think it's a reference to that. Anyways, they drive through the Nazis uh, <laughs> and uh, force them out into the water, which rules. 
Um, yeah, it was really great. But unfortunately, that just means another group of people are on their tail. So now it's the cops and the Nazis after them. Two definitely different groups Super of people. Super different people. <laughs> um, uh, so they, they go to find their last two musicians, uh, Lou Marini, Blue Lou, and then Matt Guitar Murphy, uh, one of whom is married to Aretha Franklin, who, again, in her very loose connection to the plot, plays the owner of a soul food restaurant. Right. Super loose. Uh, the other thing we learn, we learned this at the, at the, uh, what are they called? Slop house? Flop house. At the yeah. flop house that they live at is, uh, Danny Aykroyd only eats plain white toast. Yes. Dry, and so that, dry white toast. Dry white, dry white toast. And so, uh, that's what he orders at the restaurant, which is, and then, uh, what's his name? John. Jake. Jake. John he, Belushi. John Playing Belushi. Jake Blues. Listen, Jake, he orders an entire fried chicken. And no, like, he orders four fried chickens. <laughs> four fried chickens. And, and a that, Coke. And that is the exact order where the guy is like, I know who that is. <laughs> it's like, what an incredible bit. Yeah. I love that. It's so fucking weird and specific and great. And I don't think that we get a lot of that. So I really appreciated the the comedy of it. Yeah, that was great. Yeah, so that's, so Blue Lou and Matt Guitar, um, come out and they greet him and, and like i can't go i'm with you know i'm married to aretha franklin and aretha's like you better not you better not go with the blues brothers they still owe you money and he's like look i'm the man of the house and then aretha aretha's like okay well i'm gonna perform think <laughs> <laughs> i'm just gonna go do this it's yeah. great oh fantastic and the, again the cafe patron the, the the restaurant patrons patrons get up and dance jake and elwood like try to like kind of slink away from it and then they eventually join the dance line oh my god it's what great a, just, and there's an out there's so a good. whole there's a whole ensemble outside dancing with just yeah it honestly also this is the most diverse snl movie we've seen so far and it will be uh the most the <laughs> most diverse one we ever watched because it was just really amazing to see so much black talent especially at that time yeah incredible to, it like I don't know. I really wish that there was like a little bit more on the history of like were these musical theater performers? Were they just like people from Chicago who were working in theater? Or You're talking like, about like the the chorus folks. But yeah, I thought yeah. like are these Broadway people? Are this is this Chicago theater people? Like I would love to know more about that, but it's really hard to find that information. Mm-hmm. And you know, I didn't. <laughs> and speaking of black talent, uh, should we go to Ray Charles? Oh, the best number. I love Ray the- Charles. I mean, I mean, he, and let's be clear, he would be canceled if he were yeah, around today. Yeah, yeah. But his music, <laughs> his music ha- holds just like in the same oh. way that, you know, this movie is like very sentimental for you. For me, same with, but oh. with Ray Charles music. Oh, I, I play, I would, I would play Ray Charles music for the meatball when she was like three months old oh. and just, and just like swing her around to it. That's um, so cute. I'm gonna cry. It's just like, there's just, there's a lot of emotions with me in this movie. Um, I love but, this. This is like the opposite of the Shark Tale episode. I, <laughs> um, but he does, he does shake your tail feather and it just fucking kicks ass. Yeah. Um, it's another rules. big dance number. It's just, it's just, it, it's just great. Um, and again, the setup for it is such a like stereotypical musical number setup where it's like this keyboard doesn't work oh i don't know let me give it a try and it just it just works it just works there's nothing disingenuous about it at all yeah 
Yeah, I think that the, another thing that this fucking movie uh, rules at is that they are genuinely performing and they're aware that it's a musical, they're aware that it's silly, but they're like committing whole hog anyway. There's like no trepidation or embarrassment about it at all. No, this is, none of the musical numbers are like winking at the audience. No, like, it's actually legitimately really, it's honestly, like we're... impressive. Yeah, we're doing this number because we really fucking love this song and we would <laughs> like you to hear us perform it. Yeah, it's it's really, really fun. And then again, you know, we're like 45 minutes in. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it is still too long. The movie is too long. Um, I do think the next scene, uh, which is Bob's Country Bunker, um, is funny. I also think this is a place we could have made some cuts. What's what's the scene again? Remind me, because this was, the movie is long. <laughs> <laughs> so this is where they go to the country and western oh, uh, club, right? Which has bo- both kinds of music, which are of course country and western. Right, right, right. And and they perform behind this wall of chicken wire because this crowd <laughs> is known to throw their drinks at the band. But oh my god, I don't think they anticipated the these people to get so pissed off because they start playing some blues and it's fucking good. And they yeah, have it's giving some love and it's a great tune. And then they have to stop and start doing uh, blues versions of country songs. And then they win the crowd over. They win the crowd over. They do Rawhide. They do Stand By Your Man. Why um, two songs? Yeah, we didn't need two. No. I <laughs> think both... the, the Rawhide one was really good. Yeah. Um, yeah, we didn't need two. But basically, um, they want to get paid. And by the way, they show up to this place pretending to be the actual band that is scheduled uh for that evening so like they're scamming this bar and then they drink so much that the bar is like yeah you actually owe us a hundred dollars yeah so again another group of people that are after them yes because of course they bail (laughs) yes they just bail there is i love the bit where um john belushi's like yep we're signing the traveler's check right now i have to go sign it too i usually like to sit in the car and (laughs) sign it while it's on the glove compartment in pencil yeah um so yeah so they end up oh go ahead no i was gonna say you know you thought you forgot you forgot about the cops from the beginning of the movie because they got exploded and they were under a bunch of bricks and stuff. But no, they're, they actually find them again just because we get a uh, car chase. Mm-hmm. And so Another we get car to chase. see these cool guys again. So it's the cops. It's Now it's the owner of the bar and the country band that was supposed to play the gig are all chasing after them. <laughs> um, there's a big collision uh, the Winnebago that the country band was in is just totaled. Um, so anyways, the Blues Brothers escape again. Again, um, they're so good. And they book basically the gig that's going to make them uh, $5,000. That's right. And um, they have to publicize it. Yes. So they uh, they book the Palace Hotel Ballroom and they drive around the entire state of Illinois and I assume parts of southern Wisconsin. Uh <laughs> With a, yeah. gi- with a giant uh, loudspeaker that they stole from a beach tied to the top of their car saying, Tonight only, the fabulous Blues Brothers Band. And I just, look, I just want to say one thing about this. Mm-hmm. Is it's when the Chicago Cubs, who I don't like, when the Chicago oh. Cubs were in the World Series in 2016, 
that was the first time they had been in the World Series in a long fucking time. Mm-hmm. Um, and they they recreated this bit. They had actors playing the Blues Brothers, uh, like, for ESPN, driving around in the Bluesmobile with a loudspeaker being like, tonight only, the Chicago Cubs in the World Series. They did that bit. Like, this is, this is just oh. one of these iconic chicago scenes that just like you there on the motorcycle you there uh in the minivan like all of that i just you know it just so many memories wow this is the most emo i've ever seen you (laughs) um i love it and so they they publicize the show and then they run out of gas yeah they publicize the show for like seven years and then because that is a very long montage oh and also the kids from the orphanage um, yeah, publicized the show too because Cab really Calloway. Cute. It's very cute, but Cab Calloway's like, yeah. Guess what? If they don't get the money, your orphanage shuts down, so your asses are on the line too. Now the stakes are a little higher because they involve yeah. some kids, but uh, they ran out of gas and they have to push their car to a gas station, and then yes. they, and then they run into Twiggy. Twiggy. Twiggy shows up in her car, and Danny Aykroyd is like. Hey, uh, basically, let's fuck at midnight. Twi- Twiggy, I would uh, like it if you would let me fuck you. <laughs> and she's like, "I'll think about it," but you don't really think that anything's gonna happen. Uh, but she, she was, she was DTF. She was DTF. <laughs> Good for her. Um. So, uh, the other thing that happens in the lead up to the show is that uh, because they're handing out flyers everywhere, all of their enemies know <laughs> where they're going to be. <laughs> which is the palace hotel ballroom so the nazis see the flyer they're like oh the blues brothers are going to be in the palace hotel ballroom the good old boys see the flyer and then john candy the cop who has a little i really appreciate this uh cookie jar that is shaped like a pig dressed as a cop <laughs> on his desk um oh we are uh, very anti-cop in this movie and i love it. <laughs> the, so um so they all come to the show uh jake and elwood are are late because they're getting gas so we do have one number that cab calloway does with the band uh which is Minnie the moocher the crowd gets super into it probably could have cut this number too yeah but it, it doesn't you can't adva- cut cab you can't cut cab though that's the problem is no. it's it's a great number it, it doesn't advance the story at all but it's no. a great number i think you know we could have just done without the the country the good old boy scenes yeah that would have been fine also, we would have cut a lot at the beginning, too. But you know what? The, and also the cut. end. We could yeah. have cut a lot at the end. This movie could have been uh, 90 minutes. <laughs> it really could have. And it would have been really strong. And I think everything else would have just been, like, bonus content. Yeah. So <laughs> everybody shows up. Uh, the cops order three orange whips. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and then the Blues Brothers come out, and they do Everybody Needs Somebody to Love. And this is the high point of the film for me. And it's just so joyful and wonderful, and they are so good on stage. And this is the one me and my daughter danced to, danced to like seven times in a row one Aww. night, where we would it would dance around to this, and then she'd be like, "I want to do everybody needs somebody to love again." Um, and it was just, it was just, you know, it was just great seeing that and seeing, you know, Ackroyd Whale on the harmonica and. Belushi, definitely a lot of coke here, but um, <laughs> but they're also, in addition to being like, I think, 
you know, I think they're they're good vocalists and musicians, but they're they're just really great on stage as yeah. performers. Yeah, this is where I feel like the whole idea of like translating a a, a stage musical to a movie really works. It's like you mm-hmm. have to have a great performer mm-hmm. that can play to the back of the room, but also be super charismatic for the camera. Like, I don't think this could be made today just based on talent. Well, they tried to do it in, like, 1998, and it didn't work. Right, right, right. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah, I mean, just just Belushi and Aykroyd dancing with each other on the stage, doing cartwheels, uh, Aykroyd getting into, like, a fight with, the, a fake fight with the guitarist, like, <laughs> is is great. They ham it up, and I love it, and I, um, and I just, it was just, it was just great. I was just... I, I I feel like I know we're like oh we celebrate comedy that is aged very poorly and there's flaws in this movie but goddamn I loved watching it again yeah you know what like this is the this is the celebration part of it we don't get to do a lot of it no we this is this is the season where we've had I think the highest hit rate in terms of good movies there's bad ones coming yeah 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 of <laughs> course of course ones. the the comedy juggernaut ones I feel. They were great because everybody knew them. Yeah. But these are actually legitimately good. But yeah. we haven't really gotten to the later. Yeah, we haven't gotten to the bad ones yet. We haven't gotten um, to the bad ones yet. Except for uh, Pat. It's Pat. Except Pat. Um, but I, I do want to, I mean, it was just great. And uh, should we talk about the resolution of the Carrie Fisher storyline? Oh, yeah. I forget. Uh, so she tries to kill them again. As they're, as they're sneaking out of the show to avoid the cops. From in the sewer, I think they are in. Yes, yeah. And she she finally, finally fills us in. And it is because she wants to kill them because she was going to marry John Belushi and he left <laughs> yes. her at the altar. Oh, so apparently her family spent every single dime they had on this huge wedding. And her family was devastated. Like her grandmother was upset. And she said, on behalf of me and my entire family and the entire fortune and, that we spent on this, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill you. And your brother. And your brother. And so he's like, gets on his knees and he's begging. He's like, don't do that. You know, I uh, couldn't find parking. Yeah. My suit wasn't ready at the cleaners. Like, there were excuse. locusts. There was an earthquake. <laughs> Just like every excuse in the book. And she's like, okay. It's okay. And then they kiss. And then he throws her in the mud and says, let's go. <laughs> and that is the end. And that's a wrap on Carrie. Uh, for the movie, that is a wrap on Carrie. Fun fact about Carrie Fisher, Dan Aykroyd proposed to her on set. Really? Yes. Oh uh, and shit, I would have too. Um, <laughs> but uh, I don't know what she said at the time, but it didn't end up working out because Carrie Fisher reconciled with her ex, who was Paul Simon. Right, <laughs> so. right, right. Uh, but, uh, you know, we, this is the end of that portion of the story, but there is a very long car chase now. Very long car chase, which is basically, the rest of the movie is just a very long car chase. 103 cars destroyed. I'm, again, the stunts for the cars, super fun. Really, yeah. really fun to watch things be destroyed. Yeah. And great iconic line to begin, it's 106 miles to Chicago. We got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes, it's dark, and we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it. Uh, also, iconic line was the cop saying, use of unnecessary violence in the apprehension of the Blues Brothers has been approved. 
<laughs> right, and then you'll start seeing the military show up, yes. and uh, the horse cops, the boat cops, the Nazis the also go- show up. The Nazis are chasing them to um, the Winnebago with the country band, and it is chasing it. There's really no reason to watch the movie at this point. No, honestly, like you can, ex- except for maybe that very last scene where they actually make it to the whatever government building to pay off the debt for the the orphanage, and then. They get their receipt and they turn around and all of these guns are pointed at them. That's a really cool scene. That is a cool scene. The Cook County Assessor, by the way, I think is Steven Spielberg. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, that makes sense. Um, yeah, but that's at, uh, that's at Daily Plaza. Yeah. Uh, so they, they deliver the check. They immediately get arrested. And the last scene is them playing Jailhouse Rock for their fellow inmates and uh, inadvertently starting a prison riot. Right. And that's the end. It's and that's it's the end. it's genuinely very fun. It's very long. If you're sitting down to watch it for like without moving, I don't think you can. No. It's it's too long. It's absolutely too long. But it's so much fun. It is a lot um, of fun. So much fun. Very successful film for Saturday Night Live. Like you said, basically saved the show. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and brought Lorne Michaels back, which, you know, whatever. Uh, <laughs> I mean. Uh, but this is, you know, when we looked at the Saturday Night Live list of movies, I was like, well, there's at least three that I know are good. And Wayne's World was one, and this one was one of them. And the but third one was McGruber. Right. Oh, and I, I think Superstar is just as good. Um, but I, the other thing was, you don't want to do the sequels. No. And I'm, and I'm curious, because I've never seen it, and I made a joke. I was like, what if I had actually just watched the sequel instead of the first movie, and we still did the pod review anyway? Um what about the second movie, because I've never seen it, is so Blue- it about? What's happening? So, Blues Brothers 2000 uh, came out in 98, so right away, they fucked up. Yeah. Uh, Should have waited. Um, but uh, it's interesting, because, you know, Belushi died in, I think, 82. Yeah. Um, and and uh, so... The, it's still directed by John Landis. It was still co-written by Landis and Aykroyd, like the original film. Um, it was a huge bomb. Nobody wanted to see it. And obviously, like, Belushi added a lot to the film. Right. Uh, but basically, John Goodman uh, ba- was in... He wasn't playing Jake Blues. He was playing another mem- a new member of the band, uh, Mighty Mac McTeer. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there was a... Uh, a little kid if i remember correctly there's like a there's a, a child blues brother that's in it um, <laughs> that's cute uh, yeah and so uh in any event so so they uh the musical guests and i'm just pulling this up right now james brown is back aretha franklin is back mm. um erica badu a star <gasps> of what men want <laughs> <laughs> appears uh, in this uh blues traveler uh lonnie brooks eddie floyd uh johnny lang sam moore wilson pickett and junior wells uh, was it just as long jesus i don't know the right re- you know i actually haven't seen this movie um bb uh, king sorry uh, also oh. in this movie uh okay. this movie was 123 minutes so it was not as long but it was still too long yeah it was a little too long um that's cute i'm i'm curious why they thought it was a good idea yeah i mean and and again like not only had belushi passed away but like john candy had passed away at yeah. this point cab calloway had passed away at this point um like there there's just you know 
some things you need to just let's like i know Ackroyd has enough money i yeah. know Ackroyd has ghostbusters money which brings me to our next segment ah uh, yes my favorite uh, so, you know, all of these films, these SNL films, are explicitly intended uh, to help the actors springboard from an SNL career to a film career, and we examine how successful these films were at doing that in a segment we're calling Good For Them. And so, uh, Dan Aykroyd uh, not only went on to star in uh, many iconic uh, comedy films like Ghostbusters and Trading Places and future podcast selection Coneheads, uh, but, uh, he also co-founded, and I honestly did not know this, co-founded and co-owned House of Blues. Oh, uh, get out! <laughs> yeah, like the, the, the chain before eventually selling it off, uh, in the 2000s. Um, other fun facts about Dan Aykroyd, uh, while he was raised Catholic and thought he was going to be a priest for a lot of his childhood, he now considers himself a spiritualist. He's, like, into mediums and, and stuff like that. Fuck yeah. And also, like friend of the show, Tom DeLonge, uh, he's super into UFOs. Uh, he is the official Hollywood consultant for something called the Mutual UFO Network uh, and definitely uh, thinks they are real. Um, but I don't just want to focus on Dan Aykroyd. Uh, I also want to talk about the director of this film, John Landis. Um, John Landis uh, is a legendary comedy director, uh, one of the most celebrated uh, directors in the 1980s. His resume includes... Uh, Animal House, uh, Coming to America. Um, he directed the, I would say, the two most iconic Michael Jackson music videos of all time. Thriller oh. and Black or White are both directed by John Landis. Wow. And then uh, another fun fact uh, of him, about him is he was charged with manslaughter because through <laughs> his negligence, he was indirectly responsible for the death of two children in a helicopter accident on the set of the Twilight Zone movie. Are you serious? Yes. Horrifying. Uh, uh, it, it, basically, the kids should never have been hired or on the set at night or near that many explosives it's a very tragic story oh um, god landis was acquitted for manslaughter uh his son oh. <laughs> max landis is also a director and has not killed any children but <laughs> uh he has been accused of serial sexual assault no. um, by multiple women uh which is also uh, very bad and he wrote a movie uh that was on netflix in 2017 called bright which is where Will Smith plays a cop in a fantasy fairy world. But also, it's an allegory for racism. <gasps> and at one point, Will Smith says, fairy lives don't matter. Now, mm. is writing that line worse than sexually assaulting someone? No. No. B but, is it? <laughs> no, Tony. I know, I know, I'm sorry. <laughs> Well, that's fucking horrible. <laughs> that's horrible. All of this is horrible. But, you know. But Dan Aykroyd? Dan Aykroyd? Good for you, buddy. We, we love you, Danny Aykroyd. <laughs> the other the cool thing about Dan Aykroyd is he is in a lot of really good stuff. He is. I mean, Trading Places, I love. The, the final scene of Trading Places is so iconic. Um. And, uh, and Ghostbusters, of course, is a classic. And he yes. has a cameo in Ghostbusters Starring Ladies, which is what I call the one with Kristen Wiig in it. <laughs> Starring Ladies. Oh, he's also in My Girl. 
Oh, of course. He's the dad in My Girl. So good. Oh, he needs his glasses. He can't see without his glasses. Uh, overall, a great cast. Super stacked. Really awesome. Um, there is a little bit of a montage at the end where everyone is singing, and there is a shot of the crew of the movie. Yes. Everybody is very clearly on drugs. There are not a lot of women in the crew. I think there were like, I tried to count, but everybody's hair is kind of all over the place and 80s. And I'm like, I can't tell. Um, but I, I counted three, which is not enough. <laughs> oh, like people of color? No, women. Oh, women. Oh, okay. There were no people of color. There was like okay. maybe <laughs> one. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's a fun movie. It's a movie, like, again, a movie that celebrates a lot of um, wonderful black talent, which is not something that a lot of Saturday Night Live movies did. No. Um, and uh, it is, I think, weird to have two white dudes, one of whom is Canadian, uh, <laughs> being super into American rhythm and blues. But honestly... I think they pulled it off. Yeah, it works. It's good. It's fun. It's funny when it needs to be. It's just a little long. That's it. It's just long. Now, what about our friends at Common Sense Media? Did they have anything to say about this movie? Oh, I didn't look it up because it's not on the outline. Oh. (laughs) I forgot. Oh, shit. I'm sorry. That's okay. I can find out, though. (laughs) Well, yeah, let's... Yeah, I mean, we got got a minute here. We got time. (laughs) All right, hold on. Common sense media. <laughs> and remember to use a, a, a private window because, uh, you know, you're limited on how many articles you can read. Yes, thank you so much. Alrighty. Oh, good. I have some. I have it. Okay. <laughs> There's only 12 parent reviews, it seems. Oh, you know what I just realized? Because of this review, there's a an adult that says it's a it's a great movie I think the only reason it's rated R is because of the language. There's no sex, nudity, or excessive violence. And I'm just like, yeah, you can do a really good movie without all of that. Yeah. It, 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 I mean, yeah. I mean, and I think it is, I think it's literally, they say, like, two fuck words. I honestly think that's it. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> the, next art, the next review is, I rate this three stars because of the language. There are many F words. <laughs> <laughs> this is so funny okay hold on let's go to the kid reviews because those are more fun oh there's okay 12 parent reviews and 56 kids reviews i'm not gonna okay, read all of interesting. them uh a lot of it is about the language honestly and a lot of kids like to spell out exactly what they said like fuck Hell and yes. shit love that how many um, chances you get to do that though i mean you gotta jump on that exactly um this nine-year-old says, it's a great movie, but if you ask me, it should be watched at least at first with a parent or a responsible adult. Though at first the main characters are not the best role models, they are convinced to do what's right, despite the numerous wrongdoings and such, as well as some scenes that might not be the best example for younger kids. Uh, there is some violence, however, a kid with some sense of what's right and wrong can tell. <laughs> so don't like don't drive your car through a mall kids no 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 it doesn't look cool though it looks fucking rad i'm sorry yeah i think you know the this is a great movie for but i don't know if like kids will be like comfortable with the bad words if they're in a house that's like don't say bad words because there's a lot of them 
I like watch with a parent or a responsible adult because in my head I'm picturing like someone the kid doesn't know who's like, yeah, I'm responsible. <laughs> you want to watch Blues Brothers together? It's me. I'm watching it with them. <laughs> I don't know if this uh, would also hold the attention of children because it's fucking long. It's fucking long. And again, like it doesn't need to be this long. Why did it take so long for him to park the fucking car in the alley? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe they could do like a Blues Blues Brothers recut. And I will do it. You okay? I will do. You know how there's like the Snyder cut of Justice League, which to be fair was a film Zack Snyder actually made. There's gonna be the Ginocchio cut of Blues Brothers, Perfect. where it's still a good movie. We just trim some of the fat, man. Yeah, you you really need to. Yeah. Now I, I you, you I have need the to best find judgment. Video editing software though. Uh, no, you just use iMovie. Yeah, I don't have a Mac. Anyways, the <laughs> th- this was a delight, uh, Nadia. I'm really glad we got to watch this again. I'm I'm drawing strength from this movie for the rocky road ahead. Yeah, we have a lot of stuff coming up. Someday I know I'm going to have to watch The King of Staten Island. <laughs> and then we got to talk about the appeal of Pete Davidson. And then we got to talk about Pete Davidson for fucking 90 minutes. We, we got to talk about why everyone wants to fuck Pete Davidson. Why? Why? <laughs> I'm very excited for that episode, but I'm very grateful that we finally got one where we both really liked it and it's actually good. And there's not that much wrong with it. And we got to see some legendary shit. Legendary shit, folks. So next week, folks, uh, maybe legendary shit, maybe not. Who knows? Uh, (laughs) It's probably shoulda. uh, Please follow us on your favorite podcast app and then all the other podcast apps you have. uh, And then follow us on social media, uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, probably shoulda. We'll see you next week. glad to see so many of you lovely people here tonight, and I would especially like to welcome all the representatives of Indiana's Ukulele World Congress who have chosen to join me here on YouTube at this time. I do so sincerely hope you'll enjoy the song, and please remember, people, that no matter who you are and what you do to live, thrive, and survive, there are still some things out there that make us all the same. You, me, them, everybody, everybody, everybody needs somebody. Sweetheart miss, sweetheart miss, sugar to kiss, sugar to kiss. But I need you, 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 I need you, you, you in the morning when my soul's